Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. That's what we can just, we'll cover that off as we go. Yeah. That's great. So here we are, uh, Thrive Deeper, episode 138, Matt. All right. And we are jumping over to the New Testament, we Stu. Are. Absolutely. I, um, I'm actually really excited at this point to dive into the book of Romans. Yeah. Uh, this this is a a book. Interesting responses that I have to this book from from people. Yeah, there are a lot of people that hate it. Yeah, yeah, like look- really don't like uh, that. Actually, don't like the letters of Paul, but Romans. Right. Particularly, there's a lot of complexity to this yeah. letter. Yep. People read it, what is going on here? And so it's not a popular one, I have to say. No, well, it does my head in sometimes too. Mm. I, I found myself through the years, kind of as I've read this book, having to go back and hang on, read that again. What does yeah. that mean? Yeah. You know, it just seems so confusing at times. Yeah. But before we jump in, let's just give a bit of context to the book of Romans. So this was written by Paul. It's a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, probably written around 20 or 25 years after Paul's conviction version on the road mm. to Damascus. He's never been to Rome, so he's writing to a church that he hasn't actually visited. So probably a reason why he's gone into so much detail from mm. beginning to end, yeah. rather than just because he's not yeah. had the opportunity to speak into that. Um, in fact, also the last letter he wrote before uh, out, out of prison, every other letter mm. he wrote subsequent to this was yeah. written from within prison. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, interesting. Uh, the other context around this is to remember also that um, about five years before this letter was written, probably uh, Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome at the time, expelled mm. the Jews. And so the church would have become very strongly uh, yeah, that's growing right. from yeah. the Gentile population. Yeah, that's right. And then, of course, when they were allowed back in, the Jews are coming back in and going, probably going, hang, hang on, what's going on here? You guys have got this all wrong. We're the Jews. You mm. know, you're the Gentiles. So I, I, probably some of that context is feeding into this as it's, well. It really does feed into this letter. And... You're right that because he hasn't been, and this this is what I think is so valuable about this letter. This is why it's so important for us to cover this and, and really get our heads around this, because he builds from the foundations. I mean, it's, just a, the, it's a really interesting situation. Mm. Um, you've got Jews and Gentiles. You've got that context. The Jews have come back to now a largely Gentile church. Mm. They're thinking, hang on a minute, this is our this is our gig. This is our That's Messiah. This <laughs> like is our you guys God. suddenly taking over what's going on here. You're changing the rules. That's right. Yeah. It's a really interesting context that actually brings Paul to explain the Christian faith, essentially is explaining mm. the Christian faith mm. from the ground up. This is so valuable that we have this letter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and I know I know there are complexities to that. Um, and look, the point is that we'll work through complexities. But you know why? You know why would we bother? We would bother because if you can understand this book, you understand your faith. Yes. So be bothered. Yes, exactly. Be bothered because. It's just so crucial, um, this book. And I know there's a fair bit of theological depth here, uh, but I think it's just so important for us. Yeah, and I think it's also about digging into some of those words that we hear all the time, perhaps in our Christian faith, but we don't Mm. really fully, like the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Because that then helps bring context to that particular aspect of what you're reading. So yeah, yeah, it's great. The interesting thing, just picking up on that, 
issue of the expulsion uh, under Claudius. Mm. And this is probably, there were probably a couple, there was a, probably a smaller expulsion uh, around probably 41 and then another bigger expulsion late, later in the 40s oh, okay. AD. Okay. Um, maybe around 48, um, possibly. Um, that's it's been suggested, but it was actually, according to the Roman historian Suetonius, it the the expulsion actually was because it says he, he talks about it being some uh, around issues to do with some figure called Crestus. Oh yes, and correct. Uh, and and in, and that's probably a slightly garbled Greek version of Christos. Oh, yeah. Of course, most scholars agree that that's what he's talking about. Yeah. So. Um, What's ha- what's probably happened is that there were would have been most probably Jewish Ro- Roman Jews present on the day of Pentecost. Yes, who took the message uh, back? Took the message back. Yeah. Uh, so you know, received the spirit, took the message back. Uh, you know, would have been there to Plant benefit the from the yeah the, <laughs> yep. the churches at, at its inception. Mm-hmm. You know, heard the teaching of the apostles, taken that back to Rome. So they've. They've planted what would have been initially a sort of Jewish messianic yes. uh, movement uh, in Rome that then has drawn uh, Gentiles. Now, because of the the presence uh, of this new messianic Jewish movement, uh, that would have stirred up quite a few yes. issues, as, as it inevitably did. And then so that's what's happened. So in the 40s, because of these riots to do uh, with, as, as Suetonius points out, uh, Claudius says, well, we're just going to get rid of all of the Jews. Yeah. So what you have remaining is these Gentile Christians. The G- Gentile part of the church. Mm. They keep going. Uh, they seem to be going strong because when Paul uh, writes, and he's probably writing uh, around 57, most probably, about 57 uh, AD, um, the the Gentile it's it's a church go it is a church going str- really yes. strong now they're not without issues and and just trying to get their heads around mm. Jew and and Gentile and and uh, and and how do they relate and where does all this fit into God's purpose yeah. that's what's then wonderful about this letter because Paul talks about God's purpose big picture yes. But then he talks about the gospel uh, in some detail within that. So yeah, and I don't think it was blind to Paul that Rome was the most influential city that's right, at the time, yeah. and so he knew this church yeah really had the potential to take the mission yeah that's right way beyond. I mean, his goal was to get to Spain. We don't know if he ever really yeah. got there. Some people suggest that that yeah. was probably James, but yeah, um, you know, he it wasn't it wasn't blind to him that yeah. Rome was going to be a center. Yeah, that's right, and, or was the center, and yeah. if he could really strengthen yeah, the church right. there, so. Yeah. Let's jump in, man. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, Paul uh, does, you know, he he uh, does the the usual uh, greeting. Uh, there's a lot of theological content uh, in in the greeting, uh, and and look, we won't go into too much detail there. But there's an interesting comment, Stu, in in verse five, uh, where it talks about through him, through Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles mm. to the obedience that comes from faith. For his name's sake. Mm. Now, this is an important comment. The obedience that comes from faith. This is what they're called to. Mm. Now, the big thing in this letter is going to be, how are we made right with God? I mean, talk about a fundamental question. And Paul is going to emphasize faith, right? Faith, faith, faith. Now, often what can happen uh, is that we can read Paul as sort of pitting obedience of faith in us is is it well is it either obedience or is it faith like what is uh, what is God looking for here? But here he talks about the obedience that comes from faith. faith. So th- there's a certain kind of life that 
uh, that we're being called into here, and it's a life of faith that essentially is a life that fulfills the law. By the, it's a life in the spirit yes. that essentially fulfills the law. Mm. Uh, now we'll talk about some of the issues um, uh, here, but to, to flag the, the issues behind this letter, but to flag uh, a biggie up front, um, there was this belief fairly common uh, amongst uh, Jewish people, and this is kind of behind what he's going to talk about, and we're going to look at the first three chapters today. A lot of Jews felt that their status, um, their being included in God's people, you know, uh, that for them, you know, sort of equals salvation. You know, you're, you're, you're to, salvation means inclusion yes. in, in the people of God. And of course, beyond that, uh, it means that you are made right with God and there are eternal consequences mm-hmm. uh, to that. So for a Jewish person, they understood that if we, that we are, we are right with God, we are saved because God has elected the Jewish people. He's chosen us. He's chosen. We are the chosen people. Yes. That's sealed in circumcision. Yes. And for them, if to be part of, the, to be a Jewish person in that sense, and to at least, you know, to have the, at least the intention to keep the law, that was enough for, for them. Right. It's like, we, we oh, well, of course we're saved because we have been elected by God. Yes. Uh, and that's, you know, we've sealed through circumcision. And, you know, we love the law. Um, you know, we have the law. We love the law. We have the intention of keeping the law. Uh, so we're, so we're, we're saved. We're good. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're good. Yep. Now, Paul's going to say, um, actually, you're not so good. I mean, this is one of the problems here. That's actually, that's actually not how, how you're saved. In fact, it was never how you would be saved. He, he's going to point out it was always faith. It was yes. always by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we'll see how much that's going to play. And so I'll, I'll refer to that that yeah, background great. belief is going to help make sense of a lot of things uh, that Paul Paul says. So he announces in in verse sixteen uh, his topic. Okay, he's going to talk about the gospel, the good news, mm. and he says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone." Who believes, uh, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he's, he's introduced, that's quite a dense comment. Yes. Uh, but he's introducing his topic there. Uh, he's saying, this, if we get this, this is powerful stuff. Okay, mm. this good news, uh, and the good news has something to do with the righteousness of God. Okay, so what does he mean by that? He means uh, the righteousness of God is is um, the way in which God, the way in which God makes things right. God is the one who makes things right. Right. Um, important point: if something is wrong, if something is wrong with us, who's going to make it right? Well, ultimately, God is the one who's going to make that right. Mm. That's that's God's part. Our part is to is faith. Yes, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. So, so Paul's talking about the good news about the righteousness of God. God is has done something and is doing something mm. to make things right. And does that also speak to God's faithfulness to His yeah, promises? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and so a big part of that. 
uh, God making things right. It's not just out of the blue, God just to No, it's actually God is is righteous in the sense that he is keeping his promises. He's announced a purpose mm. and he's going to do what he said. That's a big th- For Jewish people, that's a big, yes. big deal. Mm. Uh, is God going to do what he said he would do? God said that all the nations, he would draw all the nations into one uh, kingdom. Mm. <clears throat> is God... You know, is God going to bring his Messiah and do that? Paul's answer is yes, uh, he is. But let's understand that. Um, That's great. So uh, it's interesting, having announced the good news, that he's going to talk about the good news. (laughs) He then draws the comparison. (laughs) He then says in uh, verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness Mm -hmm. and wickedness of people. So... He's he's going to, in a sense, this is the backdrop against which the good news makes sense. Yes. Okay, if there's good news, if there's a solution, well, what's the problem? problem? And so Paul says we all, and this is really, this is interesting because this is the thing that unites them. See, you've got two different groups of people. Yep. You've got the Jewish people and, and, and how do we relate to one another and and do we have the same status in God's sight? You know, some of the Jews, Jewish people are saying, no, 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 we, we, that you, we, we don't actually have the same status. And so Paul is going to state the fundamental equality of all people before God, not by saying that we're all as good as each other, but by saying we're, we're essentially all as bad, bad as each other. other. Exactly. So yep. he's going to put us all in the same boat. Yeah. That, that's, you know, and this is an interesting, because unity in this church is the big, yes. is the is really the big deal here. Yeah. And we see this actually when we get to chapter 13 and 14. Mm. There's, a, there's been a lot of disunity, you know, groups in this in this church. Paul's plan, oh, I know how to unite you. I'm going to unite you in humility. Yes. Exactly. I'm going to unite you by pointing out that you are all in the same corrupt boat. Yes. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as he says mm. uh, a little further on. Mm. Now, when he says the wrath of God, this is quite a disturbing statement for a lot of people because we think of an angry God who is just waiting for a chance to punish people. Uh, yeah. Now, actually, when you have a look at this chapter, that is actually not the picture that you get. Um, because uh, as we have a look at this, it says the wrath of God is being revealed from... How How is the wrath of God being revealed from heaven? Well, what he goes on to say, he goes on to talk about God giving people over... To their desires. To their desires, right? Yep. So it's in, and and the question is, so so th- that's how the that's how the wrath of God is being revealed. Yes, and I'm going to talk about the wrath of God in a moment. Um, this is how the wrath of God is being revealed, in, in that God is just letting people go the wrong way. Wow, if that's what you want, that's right. Now the question is, why is God doing that? Mm-hmm. Is He doing that because He's abandoned the human human being? No, He's not actually. This is about allowing the fullness of the problem to come to the surface so that people will realize how much they need salvation. Yeah. So God is giving them over, not in order to abandon humanity, but uh, essentially to awaken them to their plight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going back to the wrath of God is being revealed. This is not, this is a, a grief of God. This is, think ab- about this in the light of the love of God. God is love. Mm. Now, because God is love, he is grieved when we hurt each other and ourselves. Yes. And 
and so you've got to understand this not just as a as a because we we tend to view God in very human terms as sort of the angry tyrant who's not getting his way, and I just can't wait to punish you. I'm going to get in a sort of vindictive kind of tyrant view, which is very unfortunate. There's nothing of that here. This is God. This is God deeply grieved at at our situation, much like a parent would be. That's right. So grieved, in fact, that he is going to that he is going to pay the ultimate price in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. to. Uh, make a path back to make a path to to actually deal with the thing that mm. he's so grieved by. Mm. Okay, so think of this. Uh, th- this is a this is a righteous anger. We you know we would uh, we would not call a judge a good judge if they were not in some sense disturbed by evil or or, or if they were not in some sense indignant yes. about evil deeds. Uh, that, that that it's perfectly fitting that a just and loving God would be angry, and I'm going to say in the positive sense, when we hurt ourselves and each other. I do as a parent, mm. uh, and ha- how much more would God? So we've got to understand that in terms of God's love. Now, because of that, and again, the, the, in a sense, the fulfillment of that, of that wrath, of that grief of God, is, um, is not just to punish everyone. No, it's actually to save people. Yeah, uh, he, he's going to he's going to make a way so that uh, everyone can be made right. So the big theme through, and I'm going to do big big picture. Yeah, yeah. Here, Stu. Yep. Big theme of this chapter uh, is that God gives people over uh, in order to awaken them, essentially, mm-hmm. um, so that so that they they will realize how you know how bad things are. Now. It's interesting to note here that it's not the moral failure that he focuses on. It's the spiritual right. issue, isn't it? Yep. It's idolatry. It's, as he says, um, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by, by their wickedness. Yep. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain for since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Yep. So he's putting ev- this is putting everyone in the same yes. uh, in the same basket. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. That's actually the key issue. The key issue is that there is a there is an idolatry issue. So they've exchanged and and the the, the um the statement, you get that word used uh, a few times here in yes. this chapter. Yeah. They exchange this for that, right? Yes. And yeah. it all comes from the fact that they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Yes. They exchange God, they turn away from God, and they turn to idols. Mm. And because of that exchange, they everything got flipped the wrong way in every other respect. And as an example uh, of this, uh, uh, and, and, in, and essentially what this is saying is that God gives them over to that exchange. Okay, fine. You want to serve, you want to go that way. Okay, I'll, I'll let you sort of feel the sting of that in, yes. in a sense. Um, feel the emptiness of that, feel whatever. Yes. Um, so as an example of this then, he uh, he uses sexuality as, as one of the key examples here. Now, the importance of this, because this can be misunderstood, this isn't, this isn't necessarily saying that this is 
a much more this is a more serious sin than than any other. This for him is a key uh, example because sexuality and spirituality were very much connected. seen were yeah. very much connected, mm-hmm. and also because sexuality was uh, tended to be associated with closely with idolatry. Okay, yeah. So uh, so the one. You know, the, which is you know interesting in in it because you know uh, it because there's something so personal, so um, it's like that. Uh, it's intimate. That sex, yeah, that yeah. intimacy. Yeah. You know, is is a real soulful yes. thing. It's not just a physical thing. Yeah. Uh, this it is actually a kind of sacred union. Yeah. Um, and so when we mess with that, we're messing some with something about ourselves. That is way more than just the physical. Way more than just the physical. It's yep. it's a very sacred element mm-hmm. of uh, of human life, and I th- you know I think that's there's a whole topic in that yeah, itself, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this is you know this is something really sacred. So he's saying that that so that's kind of been flipped, you know, flipped, and so um, he picks up actually on a on a on a very typically Jewish idea here that um, the the idea of of um, turning away from the sort of natural course of things, you know, when Jewish people talked about the natural, it was in God's order, the way that God created things to be, and and f- for Jewish uh, thinkers and and for Paul here, this is a way of, I guess, saying that that it's kind of evident in nature what the right way sort of is. You know what yeah. I mean? That's sort of built uh, into nature, and so you know he uses um, uh, he uses different kinds of deviation from that from from the uh, essential biblical model of humanity and this is a big theological picture that Paul is drawing on because humanity in Genesis 1 is understood yeah. as two halves of a whole two complementary halves of a whole uh, where where the male and the female joined uh, representing in a sense the un- unity of diversity in hu- in humanity the ultimate example of Diversity and oneness. Mm. Uh, Genesis chapter two. You know, it's that you get very much the sense of two halves of a whole. It's often translated as Adam's rib, yes. but actually in the in the Hebrew, uh, y- you have a situation where it's almost like one half. Yeah, they're they're two halves uh, of a whole. I mean, that's another topic. So Paul is drawing on a very rich idea of the way in which humanity um, reflects God. Is in the diversity, is in our being joined together, as, uh, and, and particularly in the male-female relationship, are uh, the two halves of the whole. Now, this is this is why this example, uh, the, particularly the example of, of same-sex relations, mm-hmm. is used here. It's not because oh, this is the this is the worst sin. uh, of, of sins. Yeah. You know, lest we would point oh, that's a t- as though as though our sexuality is all fine, yeah. but theirs is somehow... No, it's all it's all broken. Yes. That's part of the big point that he's making here. Yes. We're all broken in our different ways. This is an example that he uses of how when you, uh, when you turn away from God, everything gets kind of messed up and the, that fundamental uh, image-bearing mm. thing... Mm. Uh, is is the example that he he uses, which is kind of the example that comes back to him saying God's shown us His glory throughout all of creation, and then gone and saying how we have actually yeah you know that's right. So the natural order he's he's said that the natural yeah. order demonstrates something about exactly. God, but, but yes. human beings have messed with that uh, with that natural yeah. order. And and the point is, and God has given them over 
over to that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think um, this is often that the interpreters have come to this, I guess, in a in an in an effort to want to somehow want to show that um, Paul isn't. Uh, saying that homosexuality is, is is problematic, that you know it's been interpreted as maybe this is pederasty, which was quite a common practice right. in in the ancient world. Pederasty is um, older men having sex with younger boys, as much yep. as I don't want to talk about that stuff. But that mm. uh, that was actually very common um, in, in the ancient world. You know, is he talking about that? Maybe he's just talking about that. Maybe he's talking about uh, non-committed. Rela- is he talking about? the wrong sort of approach to those. It's very difficult to get away when you look at the big picture of Paul, that he actually is just fundamentally talking about same-sex relationships. Mm. It's really clear in, in the text. You have to do sort of exegetical gymnastics to get over that. Yeah. Now, of course... And he moves on, Matt, to, to sort of say there's all these other things as well. It's not just yeah. that, you know, they are filled with, you know, unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, envy, murder, disputes, deceit, malice, gossips. You know, it's not just about that. That's right. It's not isolated. And, and, I think, and I think this is the <clears throat> problem with the discussion around this particular issue mm. is that... Uh, the whole point here is that we are all in the same boat, right? Yep. And this is just one example. So, if, so for some someone to point the finger, you know, at another, and look, for all of us um, coming, working through our our fallen humanity is a long and complex process, right? Mm. Uh, so, so I think, um, you know, like one one of the most um, uh, sort of lamented sins in the Bible is the sin of pride. I mean, it's, it's you know, mm. pride is like much more sort of fundamentally demonic even than any sort of form of sexual sin. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I could, you know, this is just something that that I'm going to be for the rest, like for the rest of my life, I'm going to be struggling, yes. you know, with this thing, you know. But uh, so, so it's not it's not as simple as just don't do it or just don't, it, you know. We're, we're, in a sense, part of the realism that Paul is introducing us to here is that there are these issues and we all are struggling with these issues, right? And we never really get our head above water, okay? Yeah. We're always, you know, we're, we're always going to fall short of we're the glory of God. A, we're never going to be able yeah, to, exactly. That's right. We're, we, we're all constantly falling short of God. I can't just say, oh, you know, um, Lord, can you just take away my pride? Hmm. <laughs> it's like... No, actually, the battle with that is actually the very battle itself. In fact, Stu is is part of the journey with God. You yes. know, it's it's like there are. This is a life in which I I I have to actually sacrifice something of what I want for God. You know what I mean? Yep, it's it's absolutely. like you know, almost the more prone I am to a certain, you know, let's say to pride or, 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 you know, whatever, whatever it may be. that sin is, mm. the more I have to sacrifice that, well, the, the more, in a sense, the more I have to give to God, yes. it's like, you know, so, um, but the point being here is that we're all, you know, and, and this, I guess, is where, what he goes on to say in chapter two, mm. to really emphasize, he, he sort of puts up a, you know, a kind of um, 
he imagines a uh, human example. Yeah, a, a, a human example, because he says, "You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else." Yeah, and I think he's, you know, he's either he's thinking of of a very moralistic person, and yeah. and look, he's he's probably thinking of you know, perhaps uh, attitude that were held by perhaps some of the Jewish Christians, you know, well, we've got the law. And we're, we're following yeah, the we're, rules. We're, follow, we're following the yep. rules and they're yep. not. Yep. But he could equally be thinking of, of, a, of a moralistic Greek like Seneca, you know, um, uh, equally. Mm. So, mm. so he says here, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, mm. you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same, same things. things. Yeah. We're all we're all in the same boat here, so don't be pointing uh, mm-hmm. the finger at someone else. So, um, so what he does in this chapter, and uh, and there's a lot in this chapter, I think that perhaps disturbs people because Paul goes on to say things like, uh, verse six, mm-hmm. God will repay each person according, according to, to what they have done yeah. to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory and uh, honor, immortality. He will give eternal life. Mm. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Mm. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. So this is the relevance of what I said about the view amongst Jewish people at the time yeah. that said, well, we're right because... We've been elected of God. Yes, yeah, signed, sealed, delivered. We're circumcised, We're yep. circumcised Jews, signed, sealed, delivered. That's you know, mm. and, and we have the intention. Mm. Paul says, "Well, no, that doesn't make you right, mm. uh, because this is the standard. Uh, the standard is we will all be judged according to what we have done." Okay? Yes. Uh, according, you know, uh, there will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. Mm. So a lot of people say, "Oh, hang on." So is Paul? It's works based. Yeah, is Paul yeah. saying that uh, it, it is works based after mm. all? Mm. Well, no. We're all we're all con- you know in in one sense uh, we're all in the same boat because we've failed to do these good works. Yes. But then what is what is this good thing? What is the good mm. that we're called to? Mm. Well, it's the life of faith. That's right. And faith. Means, Reduces yeah, good works. that's right. Faith is because he remember I pointed out in chapter one how he he's introduces the letter by saying calling the Gentiles to the obedience of faith. Yes, he talks uh, later on about uh, the the that that we in a sense fulfill the law by living by the Spirit. He will say mm. later on. So, um, so faith in a sense is not opposed to good works. Mm. You could simply say faith works. Yes. Faith is, is a kind of life in which we actually fulfill, uh, as we live by the Spirit, mm. we actually fulfill what all of the law was pointing to yes. in the first place. Now, So good it, works doesn't lead to faith, but faith leads, leads to, to good, good works. works. Good, good way of summarizing it. Now, the question is, uh, so are we then judged on, on how well we went? Right, that, that's the question. Yeah, yes. so so uh, uh, because I think we're all too aware that well, we well our faith is yeah. you know is is, is imperfect and yes. um and and we you know we we don't live perfect lives. But see, that's where faith comes back in again. Mm. Because if it's if faith is the most important thing, so faith is it produces you know gets us into this life in the spirit that fulfills the law. 
But when we fail, faith then jumps in again and trusts in Jesus Christ to cover our failings. And God says that that's actually the faith in that circumstance that you would trust me yes. to forgive you in Jesus' name. That's that actually it. is more important than you not having done things wrong in the first place. That's right. So, uh, so it's not it's not works against faith. It's not like oh, God accepts faith as a sort of substitute, a cheap. Oh, well, you couldn't live up to the law, so just believe instead. No, no, actually. God still wants us to live this life that he always envisaged. He wants us to be holy. This yeah. is all through this letter. Yeah. Uh, uh, he wants us to be a light to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants us to live upright lives. He wants us to live by the Spirit yeah. and what not we were, by the flesh. What we were created to do. Yeah, it's we all through this letter. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. But that begins with faith, faith. right? Yeah. It's, and, and when we fail, God says, Get up and step back onto the path. That's faith. So as long what I what he's saying, he's saying, what I want, I want you to step up into this life in the spirit in faith. Mm. Stay there by faith. And when you fall, make sure by faith you just step back, back up, up into again. it. It's yeah. big, and, and in every circumstance, it's the faith that's the main that's the main thing. That's great. Yeah. Really good. So um that in a sense, actually, Stu, that sort of summarizes the uh really where we get to in chapter three, but let me just close off yeah, his, his, we're all in the same boat uh, argument. Yeah, great. And I really want to underscore that this is a, this is his argument for unity as a classic, you know, because uh, I think sometimes we think, well, unity means that we've all got to agree on the same, or that we've all got to, you know, uh, no, we're actually all unified because we're all as bad as each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. a, it's a really powerful <laughs> sort of, uh, I, you know, I think there's a really powerful motivation for unity right there. Yes. Right. Because if you and I disagree yes. uh, over something and, uh, yeah, I know we can't, you know, yep. and, and, and we fragment because of that. I mean, it's because somehow uh, we've, you know, one of us thinks we're right or we both think we're right. Pride, whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah, that's exactly. right. So because, it's because of our brokenness that's right. that we find but ourselves. But what, what if we just both agree that, yes, one of us may be perhaps more right in that sense, but what if in a much more fundamental sense we're both equally well, wrong? Yeah, exactly. Now, there's something to unite. Uh, there's something to unite us because mm-hmm. that then points us to a, to a higher unity in Christ. So he, he's going to say, um, and, and look, throughout this first part, he, he addresses Jewish objections, you know, because the Jews are thinking, you know, he makes the point that, uh, you know, it's, uh, he says in 2.25, okay. um, yep. circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, yeah. you become as though you were not been, you, you've not been circumcised. Yeah. So he's, again, remember he's arguing against that idea that, well, I'm a circumcised Jew, so that just, I'm saved. Yeah, yeah. That's my status. Well, he says, no, because when you break the law, that that's that's, that's kind of annulled. Right. So what you need is faith, actually, because it's it's only by faith in God's grace that that is you yeah. know that that makes you right. It, because you know, just being circumcised mm. means nothing, actually, mm. if if you're not if you're not fulfilling the mm. law. And even to the Jewish people, he's kind of making the point also. In a sense, if you want to point the finger at others, and, and he's not actually saying this, but he's pointing out, you had the law, you should know better than the ones who didn't have yeah, the law. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. the other Gentiles who didn't even have the Torah right. or the law. That's right. So, so he's saying, in a way, you're even more accountable. Exactly. You are actually more accountable. Exactly. So don't be pointing the finger, finger at, anyone else. at other people. And the objection, of course, 
uh, from the Jewish people, and he voices this this because you know, he's a, he's uh, he's really thinking. You know, he can think like a Jewish uh, you know well, Jewish right. thinker, of course, Paul, because he was a he Pharisee. was a Pharisee, yeah. and and uh, he was very much right in the middle of this way of thinking. So he voices the objection. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Yeah, that he can tell what they're thinking. Mm. Well, he says, well, because. You were you were given you, you were sort of the channel through which God, God has entrusted the law and the prophets, yeah. right? That was you were the vessel for that. Mm. Um, it's you know it, it doesn't give you some special status or or you know you, your Jewishness isn't the thing in it in itself that saves you. In fact, it's greater responsibility. That's right. That yeah. makes you more responsible. Mm. Um, so. He finishes, you know, he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? He's talking about us as Jews. Yes. Not at all. We have already made the charge. Jews and Gentiles are like all under the power of sin. Mm. There is no one righteous, not even one. And then he goes down in, uh, we're in three, verse 20 now. Mm. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the law then points us to the problem and it points us, therefore, to God's solution, that we need to trust in that solution. Yeah. So this is where we get this crucial passage in uh, 3.21. Mm. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Okay. So, uh, in other words, there is a way of being made right with God that doesn't depend on how well you we keep, keep the, the law. law. Okay, so yep. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So remember the righteousness of God? God is going to make things right. Yes. Okay? And it's not, it's not just by giving you the law and saying, well, live up to that, and if you live up to that, you're right. No, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which actually the law and the prophets testify. Mm-hmm. This righteousness of God, this, the way that God was going to make things right, was always... The intention yes. in the law. The law was never meant as a way for you to be perfect before God. God always knew. And in fact, you know, that was built into the law because in the center of the law of Moses, of course, uh, you know, you get the moral law, but the center of it actually was the temple and the sacrifices, Yes, all of which pointed to God's way of salvation Correct. that he's going to talk about, about right now. Yep. Okay, And so this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Mm. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is so that's the first unifying thing. Yep. Here's the second unifying thing. And all are justified freely by his grace. Grace means you didn't deserve it, but, but God's going to give you. This is yep. the gift. The gift. Uh, by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, this is where he points to the bit where it was always in the law, this yep. was always in the law, and he's going to allude to the temple sacrifices yes. here in yep. ver- verse 25 of chapter 3. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Now, that's a language that the Jewish people understood very well, because mm. that's the sacrifices. Mm. That's you taking a sacrifice. That sacrifice is, is, in a sense, your substitute stands in for you. It's the blood offering. That's right. Is basically so it. it dies, in yep. a sense, symbolically in your, your place. place. 
And so what Paul is saying, that's what Jesus did. So God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Mm. Atonement is this idea of making things right, yep. okay? of satisfying God's justice, in a sense, that's what atonement is. Uh, through the shedding of blood, again, that's alluding to the, to the temple sacrifices, to be received by faith. Yes. See, that's the way it always was in the temple. Yeah. They would bring their animal and they would place their hands on its head. Their sin would be transferred to the, the animal would die on their behalf. Mm. And they would consider that I, my sin has been atoned for. Yeah. Now he's saying, if you exercise that, you've already been exercising that faith, uh, well, we as Jewish people have already, yes. you know, when we go to the temple and they would probably in Rome, they'd probably go maybe once a year, once every now and again, mm. and they'd take their sacrifice to the temple mm. and they would trust that for that. that yeah, that, that, exactly. that that's the, you know, so, so if you were willing to trust the blood of animal, how much more would you trust Christ for that? Okay. Yes. So he's drawing on very familiar ideas to them. So he says, he goes on and he says, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. righteousness. Okay. Yeah. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. God doesn't just let us off. Well, that, wouldn't, a lot of, you know, that wouldn't be just. That's right. Because a lot of people say, well, what, like, can't God just forgive? Yeah. With, like, what, why the whole complicated Jesus coming and dying on a cross? Can't God forgive? Well, God is just. Yes. God is not observing some. No, he is perfect justice. Okay. Mm. So God, therefore, by virtue of his character, will always do what is just. And that means that each person must reap what they sow. Mm. Uh, where there is sin, there must be death. So, uh, but, and yet, the sins committed before, all of those, you know, all of the sins of God's people through history, that... The temple sacrifice didn't really take away. They pointed to the real solution, which was Jesus. Jesus yeah. All of that remained kind of undealt with, right? So God shows his righteousness, his justice here, that he didn't, he, he, he forgave, and it was well known that he, you know, forgiven all of these people in the past. Yes. Yeah, but something's like, how is justice has got to be done? So God came to us in Jesus Christ, yep. suffered and died, present, it was came to be a sacrifice of atonement. Mm. And so he is the perfect demonstration of the justice of God as well as the love of God. Yes. Both of those things. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a stunning kind of moment. So righteousness has been fulfilled uh, so that, and what we need to do in the same way as with the temple sacrifice, we need to trust in that. Mm. So now, now this is, this is going to, in a sense, cleanse our conscious conscience. This is, you know, in a sense, going to cleanse the temple of our hearts so the Holy Spirit uh, can pour in and, and, and lead us to actually live the lives that we're meant to live. But it's always going to be imperfect. Yes. Yeah. And we still have, in the same way as the Jewish people, had that the temple in the middle you know, yes. of their existence. Yeah. We are centered around Christ. Yeah. So when we stumble, when we fall, he says, listen, the main thing, what's the main thing here? Faith in Jesus Christ is yeah. the main thing. Yeah. That's what makes you right. Mm -hmm. That's how God, and again, coming back to this idea of the righteousness of God, God is the one who makes things right. He's yeah. done it in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Trust him for that. Mm -hmm. If you fall off the path, 
exercise faith and step back up onto it and keep going. Yeah. So when you say faith in Jesus Christ, what you mean is faith that Jesus has paid the price for you? Well, it's it's a couple of things. Yep. It's let's talk about belief and trust. Yeah. They're more familiar uh, yep. ideas. Interesting thing is the we have three different words in the English that mean that kind of overlap belief, trust and faith. Right. Those all of those words are used in English translations of the Greek New Testament, but in all of those cases the Greek word is the same. Right. Okay. Pisteo is is the Greek word. Right. And it's depending on how how it's used, we tr- we translate one of those three words. So pisteo is is faith, trust or belief. Right. And I the best way to explain it is to say use faith as the 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 um uh, the, the big idea involving belief and trust. So we believe that God has done so. We believe yes. there's the um, the believe that, mm-hmm. but we also trust in. Right. You know, uh, so we entrust ourselves. Uh, faith is a, uh, involves uh, not only believing that God is true to his word. That's a big a, a big and important idea in the Bible. Take God at his word. Mm. You, God has said, believe what God has said, but also, but trust, live live in that belief. Um, so uh, this is calling us, uh, when we fallen as fallen people, believe that yes. in order that you can trust in yeah. and entrust yourself to. Uh, so that's great because you know if we don't if we think we're just condemned and oh yeah God's probably just rejected there's no there's no motivation there mm. to entrust ourselves to a to a to, to a life in the spirit we'll just give up yes. it just leads to despair yep. what gives us courage and what motivates us to live this life is is God's grace like God has actually restored me to this place I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to live out, live this out. Which know. is a gift. Which is a gift. Given. Absolutely. And this is a big, this is a big theme uh, throughout, throughout this chapter, is that God is offering us a gift. God has made things right. It's a gift. We receive it. We receive the gift by faith. Now, receiving a gift means receiving it as a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, we shouldn't receive it like it's something we earned. Yes, and Paul's going to make a big. This is where he goes from here. Mm. He's really going to point out uh, that God wants you to receive His gift as a gift, mm. and a gift means that you didn't earn it. Yes, and so a big part of faith is recognizing you haven't earned it, but you don't need to, because Jesus has earned it for you. So receive that, receive the gift. Part of that gift, though, is not only the gift of forgiveness, but a get the gift of a new life in the spirit. Now, here's the new life. Now go and live it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive.